Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Hoodat Jedi podcast. And with me, as always, is Dave and Fredo, and I'm Aaron. Hi, guys. Hello. And um, uh, we're not we're not going to talk football. That's enough. Um, and uh, but uh, other than that, how's how's your guys' week been? The weather is getting nice in New Orleans. It is gorgeous today. It's going to be even more gorgeous tomorrow. We are approaching the the, the like maximum quality weather where you're like oh it's pleasant to be outside and you want to be outside and then you hit that curve of okay now it's getting warm now it's a bit toasty now it's warm now it's oh my gosh okay here comes the sweat you know and i remember a couple you know years ago it was like 32 degrees on mardi gras day so yeah oh i remember you remember when we were uh outside for muses all those years ago and we're all bundled up and packed up and scarfed and gloves and everything yeah, we, we really had to tough it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, not as bad as the, as the year we uh, where it's <laughs> it was rain and it was cold. Yeah, uh, that's, that's bad too. But uh, that was really bad. So, but oh anyway. yeah, like I said, but weather is is nice. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, so tonight uh, we're going to we we had to punt on some plans, so we're just going to have fun and watch the. Um, most uh, probably controversial Star Wars movie. Well, I don't know. We'd have to have a podcast on what's the most controversial Star Wars movie. Would it be this one or Rise of Skywalker or Last Jedi? Because um, I think those would probably be the people's top three. We might have to have a, a an online poll to find out what people think. But anyway, so one of the most controversial movies, we're going to watch The Phantom Menace. And we're going to be talking over the top of it. So if you want to do this with us, just uh, get Disney Plus or whatever lined up. So where it says a long time or on your DVR or or DVD player or on your VHS player for I've got it on VHS somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. But where it says a long time ago, galaxy far, far away. And we'll all start there. And we're just going to talk over the top of it. But I do have to say it was very timely because I saw a tweet today that said, said, Hey everybody! I heard that Trump's going to pardon both Jar Jar Binks and the Phantom Menace in one <laughs> in one fell swoop, and I was like, "Oh, that's funny. That's that's political humor for the day." <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so you know, and honestly, guys, I I I like this movie. This is, I think, my favorite of the three prequels. So um, yeah, I I would say that people um, will we'll probably bash it right out of the beginning, just so that everybody can get that out of their system. Uh, because a lot of people really, really dislike this movie. Uh, but then we'll move into maybe some points in its favor and people might change some opinions. Yeah, we got some. Uh, it's been it's been a while since I watched it. So, you know, and we're away from the uh, all the emotions. So um, but anyway, all right. Well, well, on the count of three, everybody hit play. So one, two, three, play. Yeah, there we go. Um yeah, you're saying that about VHS. You just remind me of the first time when I bought the VHS for this. It was like at a, it was at Kenner Mall, and it was like the, the special edition box, which came with like a little reel, like a couple of, of, of film stills. It was so unique. I was like, wow, I got the, the VHS for a Star Wars movie. I want to say it was the first one that I got. So, <clears throat> right off the bat, I'm just I'm going to go ahead and read the crawl here. Mm-hmm. Um, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. 
Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates the alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict. You guys notice what's missing from that crawl? Uh, big big bulwarks, all caps. All caps, yeah. All caps. That's I just that just hit me just right now. Um, but, did we uh, ever did we ever get a, uh, an answer as to why they were blockading Naboo? I mean, I know they're saying they're hoping to create a resolution, but why did they pick Naboo? Well, I think they probably picked Naboo because uh, they're working with Palpatine. Sidious. Yeah, and, and that I mean, that's planet. his that's his home planet, so he can manipulate the queen and whatnot. I mean, also the sympathy vote. Remember, he mentions that uh, later on. I believe the situation <clears throat> will create a sympathy for us. Right. So, a, I'm, I'll say I'll say this just once, and I've, but I've said it again on the podcast before. If people who are upset about you know politics and economics being at the heart of the prequel trilogy. Um, I don't know what else you expected because that was, we, we knew that that's, you know, that what's what Palpatine did. So that was the story that was coming. Now I can say this, I will say this for the, if you were the first star Wars movie we ever saw, you know, a new hope, it starts off with a big space battle right over your head. And it's just like, you know, you're, I mean, you throw you in the deep end right off the bat and here it's a slow come in it's you know how are you doing and you you see it's jedi and there's a 3po looking thing but it's a slow start so (laughs) the first what is it the second or third scene of this movie is them sitting around a conference table (laughs) yeah so so i do i do i do get that i do you know we've been waiting 15 years you know it should have it should have opened up with you know something blowing up or you know you know, Jedi a whomping and a whooping or something. I, I get that. But but it goes back to, I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys remember when the title was finally revealed, The Phantom <coughs> Menace. And everybody went, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And of course, you know, and naturally there was discussion online on the early days of the internet about, you know, 50 serials and The Phantom Menace and, you know, kind of the track that Lucas was trying to go into at the time. And uh, it was interesting because he and he would later admit that, you know, he was trying to tell this grand story of democracy falling apart. And, you know, and how do you make it fall apart by pulling out all these threads? And it's not the threads where it's all action scenes and whatnot. It's, it's, it's the stuff that happens around conference tables. But it's understandable that you're right. At, at its offset, you're hoping that, hey, let's get some lightsabers, some ship battles, and we're going to get that in a moment. It's just you, you're waiting for it to happen. Now, one, one other question there. Are we surprised that we get the reveal of Darth Sidious so quickly? Well, okay, so that was the thing. that th- This is where I start geeking out in the theater because you have to remember, everybody, that back when this came out, I mean, the Internet was a young being, really. I mean, there, well, but there's also there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not Darth Sidious was the emperor. And uh, I'm thinking, well, of course it's the emperor because it's being played by the same dude. But, you know, but people are still, is Sidious the emperor? 
debate back and forth. And the first thing you hear when Sidious comes on screen is the Emperor's theme from Return of the Jedi. And I was just as a as a music, you know, as as a professional musician, as a music major, music teacher, I was over the moon, over the moon with that. Um, But I mean, but it never comes out and says flat out, this is Senator Palpatine. But again, if you've if you were around, you knew that once you hear the name Palpatine, it's like, oh, that's the dude who's the emperor. So, I mean, the, it, it, that's not that's not the uh, the secret part, you know. So, right. You know, well, to that- I was just gonna say, Fredo, to your point earlier about the Phantom Menace and the title. I, I remember a lot of people at the time, not just like trying to figure out what it meant, but just thinking, what, like. <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't sound very Star Warsy to me, right. well, the, in my opinion. The deal is that we, I mean, we we know what's going on. The Jedi don't know what's going on, so we can see that, you know, Palpatine is the Phantom Menace. They don't know he's a bad guy, and he's pulling all these strings to get everybody everything rolling his way. So it it makes sense, you know, from that standpoint. Um, and I have a favorite theory, uh, personal pet theory about that title as well. Mm-hmm. which, you know, people originally thought like, oh, maybe it's a reference to Darth Maul or something. And then eventually, if you've watched the film, you begin to realize it's Palpatine pulling the strings in the shadows. The Phantom Menace is the fake menace, uh, the Trade Federation and the dispute. And that's not an actual threat in the, in the same way that Palpatine <clears throat> is. But my theory is that the Phantom Menace is uh, actually everyone's attachment to their old version of Star Wars, <laughs> since it prevents them from enjoying the newer stuff. And that's the the thread. That is the story of this movie, is that people just rejected it because it wasn't their Star Wars. You know, and there's so much. There's so much here that that like throws people. You know, right. all this trade federation stuff. There's no stormtroopers. It's you know, you got these droids wandering around. Um, See, you I got. I, I I remember being in the theater just going, "I'm watching Star Wars. This is awesome. Look, lightsabers and blasters, and there's a young Obi Wan. I am all in. You know, I don't remember getting all up and all." ticked off because you know i didn't it even, didn't it even took me a couple my, years to get mad about the the you know the the accents of the nemoidians you know it's like, well, well, yeah. I mean, like that's that's problematic but at, at the time i was just like okay it's it's you know it's star wars alien and you know it, but uh um so but I, like yeah. this is just not this is not the same in, in a lot of ways. And, and like for that criticism, I'll always, I'll always hear that criticism. And like, like even the way I remember I had friends who were like angry about the score, the score came out, they went out and they rushed out and they oh. bought it. And they were like, what? Like, like duel of the fates comes on and they're I, thinking like, this doesn't sound like star. Well, Wars. I, I will, I will say um, honestly that I, I, I did not, dislike duel of the fates but i think it sticks out like a sore thumb in the entire star wars repertoire it that's my point is so much of this is new and different and 
a departure and bold yeah, and interesting. But, it, but it, it seems like, you know, you have this, you know, long Wagnerian opera and then one scene they get, you know, Strauss to write the music for it. You know, it kind of sounded like it, but it, you know, it wasn't. So it, and I, but I mean, again, I didn't dislike it, but it made me go, eh, okay, that's weird. All right. Well, it's cool. You know, doesn't, well, doesn't seem to fit, and, but and it's cool. Thing. Um, now, um, Oh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, keep... Fredo, you were going to say something, right? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and I think that we have to be cognizant. When you're in the theater on May 25th, 1999, none of this exists in the zeitgeist. It's just a movie. Everybody's running to the midnight showings. Uh, you want to see it. You want to experience it. Uh, now, some of the stuff had begun leaking out of, remember... Yeah, some of the stuff like in the in the soundtrack, like the titles of the tra- tracks, and the novelization had come out a, a week or so before the toys had already come out. So you already got if if you wanted to, you could find out everything that was going to happen in this movie on the internet from top fan sites before you ever set foot in the movie. What's interesting though is that at that moment you didn't you know the prequel the prequels I was going to come to know them were just an amorphous thing. This was just beginning to kind of unroll itself. And something so sometimes we mean we look at it now, you know, twenty some almost twenty some years into the future and going like, well obviously this this was gonna be a bone of contention and clearly this was a mistake. But also uh, I do think, you know, maybe in some kind of ways there should have been a bit of slack cut towards Lucas in the regard that making one of these movies is a lot of effort. And a lot of choices, and he hadn't done anything like this since Return of the Jedi. Well, and, and, we, and that's a lot. And we, you know, we've talked about it before as well that, um, <clears throat> you know, that um, a lot of us, you know, and probably me included, you know, a lot of us went into this movie wanting to recapture that feeling of seeing Star Wars for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, we, you know, the theme of our podcast is managing expectations. Right. And so people, you know, flipped out, for example, here we got Jar- first time we see Jar Jar. Uh, and, right. you know, I'll say again, I've won over Scott Colesby on the argument that, you know, people were so mad about Jar Jar. And it's like, if you were, let's see, 98, was that when this came out? 99? 99, 99. 99. Okay. So I'm 26 years old at that point. All right, so if I was 26 years old going to see Star Wars in 1977 and I saw C-3PO, I'd probably think he was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But, you know, because I was a kid, you know, C-3PO was, you know, endearing to me. He was kind of goofy. I got him. I got the humor and stuff like that. So, you know, Jar Jar was not designed for, you know, the 26 and up crowd. And I will also say, Dave, here's another fun little, maybe Phantom Menace twist. I think the Phantom Menace are the internet trolls that make you, you went in and saw Phantom Menace and you thought, Hey, this is kind of a fun movie. And then you go on the internet and people are whispering in your ears that no, it's bad. And it's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and that, that whisper campaign went on for 20 years after the movie. You know, and, and I think like that colored a lot of opinions. You know, if you remember that when the reviews came out for this movie, they were very positive. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I think it had something like a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't like the best score ever, but you know, solidly positive. And now it's down into like the 50s 
over the course of 20 years of negative reviews and pushing this narrative. And I get, you know, I get people are allowed to have a negative opinion of the film. But I just feel like also the net nerds kind of pushed a lot of that discourse. And, you know, and I want to, I also want to, to, I also want to bring a point because now we're going into the water, going down to to uh, Gungan City, mm-hmm. and the the film has slowed down considerably. And I want to remind people that watching A New Hope, the first thing, yes, is we get that big you know space battle, and then you know Darth Vader and his troops storming and the the blockade runner, and then we spend a lot of time on Tatooine of droids wandering around and Luke meeting Obi-Wan. It is slow until stormtroopers start shooting up the Millennium Falcon. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a lot of slow stuff there. So I really encourage people to, you know, not to I don't want you to now start hating a new hope, but you know, there's a lot of if if you don't like the fact that it's, you know, it, the pacing is slow. It's like, go back and watch some of the old movies because they're slow as well. Yeah. I'm sorry. I interrupted somebody. No, no, I was going to say, maybe on the, on, I was thinking on Jar Jar, the Nimodians, Waddle, when we get to them, are we surprised that Lucas didn't think to go with more of the alien dialect with subtitles underneath? So there was a, I, I was watching a, um, a documentary clip somewhere i think it was on reels and they were talking about when george uh and marcia lucas got divorced mm-hmm. um they said that george lucas lost his greatest asset because marcia lucas would go she would be the one to say dude seriously you know these these people's you know um accents you're really gonna go with that or really you're gonna you know you're gonna make Watto, you know you know, so there was nobody, I don't think there was anybody around. I, I I think there was probably just this atmosphere of nobody was going to say that's not good. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think, I mean, and obviously for a movie in 1999, the special effects look great, but you can sort of kind of see like, we just passed the moment where uh, one of the Gungan guards uh, shocks uh, Jar Jar. And you can mm-hmm. see the, the half-second split between him and him getting shocked and Obi-Wan's reaction. Well, you know, and all this... And, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll just real quick. All these special effects were really... It, they were pushing the boundaries on these special mm-hmm. effects. Mm-hmm. So it's going to... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's what I was going to say. It's like, and you know, that's part of what Star Wars was known for is pushing the boundaries. But also, this was so new and the way that he was filming was new. Again... I'll go back to the point of Lucas hadn't gone behind the camera, technically speaking, since 1977. That's yeah. the last movie he directed completely. I mean, he did some second unit stuff on Empire and I believe in Jedi to help Richard Mark one. Uh, but realistically, he hadn't been behind a camera on any serious way, shape, or form since 22 years prior. And, you know, sometimes we do have to acknowledge that while, you know, being in a tour is. A beautiful idea for everybody. It's not so easy to get, you know, to get back on that bike, particularly when you're trying to throw in on top of that whole slew of new technologies and systems on top of it. It just it doesn't work like that. 
I, I think the effects mostly hold up, you know, mm -hmm. like, again, like you said, for 1999, they were incredible, um, top of the line stuff. And uh, it was George pushing boundaries again. And that's what Star Wars always traditionally does. Like, that's what they're doing now with the volume mm -hmm. and Mandalorian. And they're, they're always developing new technology to make um, these visions come to life. And, uh, I, I thought they did a great job for the most part. Some of this stuff underwater uh, is hit or miss. Um, you know, like some of these things. I, the fact that it's a mix between practical and digital, though, at least more so, probably, I think I've read more so than the following two prequels. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like, this movie probably gets lumped in with those two a little bit more than it should because so much of this actually is practical cities and ships and things that they've built. And, and, and whenever we get to them, we can remark upon this, but I think we got to keep in mind that in so many ways, episode two became almost a, an apology for episode one and episode three then became an apology for episode two. Episode one's the one that you can almost 100% say, this is what he wanted to make. There was no priors. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's coming with the expectations of the original trilogy, but he wasn't setting out to make the original trilogy. He wanted to make something whole new and different, and this is the clearest, sharpest tone of that. And there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> Oh, we'll, we'll get. Um, I know we're going to circle back to this topic uh, a lot more, um, but I think one of the things that I really find interesting about the prequels is everybody's negative reaction to uh, George killing off all of the new characters. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I was actually just thinking. I, I wish. I wish. Uh... Liam Neeson would have stayed for at least another movie because I think he makes an awesome Jedi master. And I wish that I think Darth Maul should have been the, the villain for all three, quite honestly. And you could argue that Padme gets weaker amongst the three movies. Like she's mm -hmm. very interesting here uh, as a, as a child leader uh, the second movie, she holds her own. And then the third movie, they sort of push her off to the sideline. Um, I, I think like with all three of those characters, I think they're fabulous. And there's even, we've talked about Jar Jar, the merit to Jar Jar is the comic relief, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the criticism is valid that you killed these people off. Um, when you talk about the how it was done, um, because again, Qui-Gon and, and, um, Darth Maul, we wanted more of, and we got robbed of that. Mm -hmm. They all, we we didn't get more of them after this movie. And then Padme, her ending, um, you know, we've talked about that before, but like she got done dirty um, by did. the end of this thing. And I think like if if George had figured out a way to more gracefully plan each of those exits, I think people would have probably come away feeling more positive about all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I do want like, to say that uh, <clears throat> as I was defending Jar Jar a little bit ago, I, I will say here's a couple things that take me out of it. Um, one, um, 
the if the sight lines aren't right, then I'm I'm taken out of the movie when it when it's when it doesn't look like Obi Wan is actually looking into Jar Jar's eyes, then it, it's it's obvious, and that that does take me out of it. I will say that. The other thing is that, um, like I said, I did compare. Like I said if you're 26 years old and you saw C three for the first time, you'd be you know beside yourself. But the the thing is that C three PO in A New Hope is kind of like Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack. You know, every time he's on screen, he's tolerable and it's funny. But then if you were to get, it's like if you go to Rodney Dangerfield and back to school and you get a whole movie of him, then you're exhausted by the end of that movie and you don't want to see any more Rodney Dangerfield. You know what I mean? So I think if they would have, if they would have minimized Jar Jar's shtick a little bit, and or at even though he a was a main character, I get it. They wanted to push that envelope of having a digital main character, but I think they could have backed it off a little bit and probably not get as much of a backlash. Fredo? Well, no, I was going to say, or at least find a way to <clears throat> show him to be an active participant. I think that's one of the hard parts with, because he is supposed to be comic relief. He's supposed to be kind of a bumbling character who lucks his way through uh, the story and, you know, Somebody would say there's no such thing as luck. He he's strong with the force, whatever you know. But I think because every instance that we get from him is just either expressing himself so loudly or behaving in such a way that's cartoony and not really contributing towards the fight or whatever. Like like okay, yeah, C three PO didn't contribute much to much of the fight, but you know either. But at the very least, he wasn't getting in the way. So uh, I think it did. You know, there had to be a way to kind of make him a full rounded character that could contribute to the proceedings beyond just simply, well, he's coming along and oh, he falls in here. By the way, speaking of the effects that you said don't line up, one of the things that really sticks out right now as we're watching it, the lightsabers going through the droids. Like whenever you see, you know, as, as they're swinging the lightsabers, you can tell that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are swinging at something that isn't there. No, I've never, I've never really, never really paid attention. Now I probably will. And thanks for ruining Phantom Menace for me. You know, any, like, any of the saber play though, uh, you see that in, in attack of the clones as well. Yeah. Like in the arena stuff is like where they're blocking blaster fire. You can, yeah, you you can, can tell fire. they're just swinging around in a, you know, yeah. empty room, right. you know, however, I will say again, I remember in 1999, I was sitting there going, lightsabers yeah and they're force pushing yeah and they're, i mean i was just like over the moon to see all this stuff because really before that all we saw was you know you know luke move rocks and grab his lightsaber and force mm-hmm. choke a you know grimorian guard or two you know otherwise it, I mean, really we never saw these force powers really at work all the time so i was like over like i said over the moon with this um, but by the way, we, we should mention right quick we get both Kara Knightley and uh, uh, Natalie Portman in this scene. Yeah. Okay. So was anybody supposed to be confused by this? I mean, there there are people who are honestly like, and by the way, fun fact: apparently, it was not too long ago. Kara Knightley apparently forgot that she was in episode one. <laughs> Which I'm like, how do you forget that? Well, she was what 13, 14 at the time, or something. True, like that. true. I mean, but still, I mean, like this wasn't this wasn't just a walk on by rolled, you know. But, uh, She's in full costume. But I that mean, took we're, a few days. As as viewers, were we supposed to be confused by you know? 
the fact that she's using a decoy. Yeah, I no. mean, but that there are we were we, yeah, I don't know. There, I, I don't know. Because I think there are some I, people I think, who were. I think it's supposed to be. I mean, it's not supposed to be so obvious, but at the same time, if you you notice the moment she turns towards the handmaidens and one of them says, "We're brave," and you're like, "Dude, come on!" I think. By the way, watching this, I think the lightsabers going through droids works. Sorry. I don't know. They they swing. They you know they're swinging way too much for my liking. Maybe that's just me. And we get the introduction to R two D two. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, it that was... worked better for me than C three PO. You know, C three PO being built by Darth Vader was was a bit much for a lot of people, and I understood mm -hmm. that. Um, but R two D two just being, you know, part of the crew on this particular ship, and and that's how he falls in with these people. I, I liked that. And he saves the day too, as he is wont to do. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. You know, if, if I would, if I was to go back and write it, you know, you you, you could have made, you know, um, you could have made C three PO like Bail Organa's protocol droid or something, you know, or, right. um, you know, or heck, could have just been another, you know, droid on Naboo, you know, who knows, right. Mm -hmm. Right, I mean, particularly in his role as a protocol droid, you figure, okay, there's we're talking senators and royalty and all the other stuff. Clearly, the you know, the easy path here is make him the droid to one of them. But then the uh, of course the somebody you know in a meeting room somewhere went, oh yeah, and then because C three PO always said thank the maker, that would be funny <laughs> now that you know <laughs> that might have been yeah. But I I like the. I guess the I understand the logic of it, which a lot of it with Lucas comes down to that. Do I agree with the logic? Like he was, I want to be able to show the meeting of these two characters on screen. Well, you also want to show the uh, aptitude of, of Anakin, right? We're not, right. I mean, we're not there yet, but. Um. Uh, the other thing is with the C-3PO thing is like, you have that comic relief in Jar Jar. Mm -hmm. You you created Jar Jar for that purpose, so now you don't need C three PO. So, um, totally get you know, why he's on the sidelines. The other thing I can see here, because we got Sidious now at a meeting to edit at a you know meet a meeting room with the Nemoidians, and we're going to see Darth Maul for the first time here. Yeah, you know, I can also understand in, in a New Hope right off the bat, it is clear as a bell that Darth Vader is the bad guy, and he's going to destroy anything to get what he needs, right? And they take a while to build up the bad guys here. Mm -hmm. We know they're antagonists, but we don't know that they're, you know, evil. We don't know that we're fighting evil, really. Um, we're formidable. Well, right? and then part of it is, is everything about the Phantom Menace merchandising and promotional material was so Darth Maul-centric. I mean... I remember when the uh, when the toys came out. Yeah, the that, packaging, Darth Maul. Yeah. The packaging for for every action figure had Darth Maul's face on it. Yeah. Didn't have three POs. They didn't have R two. Didn't have Obi Wan. Didn't have Jar Jar. It was Darth Maul. It was his face staring at you. The novelization, Darth Maul was on the cover. So it's always interesting that they put him so front and center to see how little of him is actually in the movie. And I know he becomes a much bigger, richer, more rounded character 
tanks of Clone Wars and Rebels, but if it's just weighing him here, he's very much a secondary character in this movie. You know, speaking of merchandising, mm-hmm. this movie is the most commercial of the bunch. I mean, brazenly so. It was clearly marketed towards kids in a very aggressive way. Well, it was I remember the first the- time that they had the, you know, for if Force Friday, you know, launching the you know, release when people line up at Toys R Us at midnight so they could go buy all the new toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were, uh, you know, a bazillion fast food tie-ins and um, everything. There were like ice cream bars. That was one that stuck out in my mind for some reason. It's like you go to an ice cream aisle and there are ice cream bars. May and, I, may I remind uh, you that the Force Awakens had BB-8 oranges. <laughs> well, yeah, but again like to this degree back at that time that was like they they went all out right i don't know how many yeah. how many star wars burger king glasses do you have from 1980 or 1983 i still have impressive if you still have those um but you know like here's what i would say in his defense is like there's there's a couple of things one, he needed to finance the rest of his movies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're an independent studio. They're not swimming in cash in the same way some other people were. So they're like, yeah, I need to finance all of this. I need to make as much money now as I, as I can, first of all. So, but, so that's the, you know, the business side of it. Secondly, um, it served as storytelling purpose. Um, and we're about to see here why um in the form of anakin and it's the the ultimate corruption it's like you're going to corrupt a little good-hearted kid mm-hmm. and it was that decision that he made that we're going to introduce anakin at such a young age and holy good and then we're going to corrupt him and show how he can go down that path um it's a very interesting storytelling decision, and it kind of lines up with this um, aesthetic for this movie, which is, again, is like marketed to kids. You know, how much so? We have a kid in the movie. All right, real well, quick. I'm so? sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, do no, I did not need Jar Jar stepping in dog crap. I was about to say, <laughs> talking about uh, appealing to kids. <laughs> um, however, let's let's do a little let's play a little what if you know as much as I love Liam Neeson and I love the the character of Qui Gon Jinn, it, why didn't they just have you know Obi Wan oh. going down on to you know to Tatooine and and finding Anakin and wouldn't wouldn't that have made a bit more? Well, that was the original plan. Drawn the original a, script was. Obi-Wan, there was no Qui-Gon. It was Obi-Wan as the Jedi ambassador going to help, helping them crash. And, you know, it's not till later on. I think it's not till it gets to the dual part that he, that uh, Lucas realized that he needed somebody to die there uh, to kind of raise the stakes. And then he kind of splits the, the, the old or the, the, the Jedi Knight role from Obi-Wan and makes them the, the apprentice. I also yeah, don't know. Originally was one. Mm-hmm. I also don't know what people expected from from Jake Lloyd from a from a child Darth Vader, and you know he and and also if you want to skip forward to Attack of the Clones, from a 
you know, teenage Darth Vader. He was, I mean, he was going to be obviously, yeah, he was going to be sweet, but it was going to, you had to have this dark side to them where they get, you know, angered easily. And they, you know, um, I, I really liked Jake Lloyd in this part. Uh, if you're going to have Darth Vader as a little kid, this I think this makes sense. It does the job. And, and I think that's, that's kind of a difficulty because we're trying to attach all our feelings and all our expectations on the character as a whole, on, on what he's watching, on what he's doing. But the fact of the matter is, he's like you said, he's a kid right now. He's not going to... No, right now, he doesn't know anything about the Force. He has never swung a lightsaber. He doesn't know that he's meeting his future wife, which if, you, if everybody had been told way back when, hey, look, kids, right there and there, that's Luke and Leia's mom and dad meeting for the first time. That's their meet-cute. I don't think as many people would have been like, yeah, I don't know about all that. That sounds kind of weird. You know, we're missing all <laughs> Watto's great uh, offensive Intrigue. lines. <laughs> Republic credits. <laughs> I, I still love the design of his of that mm. character so much. He looks like a hot air balloon just sort of floating there, and it's like it looks like his stomach is filled with, filled with helium. Well, and I like how they've they've even got a, a fan going on Liam Neeson's hairs because the flapping wings are, mm. you know. Yeah, that's a nice detail. You know, there's you know, there's so many attention. There's so many things in any movie, really. The attention to detail. Somebody's got to be saying, you know, I I was actually when the battle droids were walking by and like just they had to animate the shadows you know what i mean it's like it's just i don't know man it would be mind-numbing working on a yeah it's i mean that's just it it's because you have to make it look and feel like it's part of the world like georgia right now he's walking in sunlight and by the way never get to explain how a character from a very wet swampy world can manage to be in arguably the most arid dry place in the universe and not be literally wilting away but anyway uh, yeah no I mean it's a lot of I mean, all of this is a lot of effort every flap of those wings had to be animated and you had to animate the shadows behind it you had to think about all that uh, but yeah it's uh, it's a lot of effort and again it's all brand new technology and I think that's that's really some, the big point that cannot be forgotten when we assess both the quality and the shortcomings of this movie is that you look at it and go, they're pushing the envelope and sometimes, you know, you can't make episode three without this one. You can't make Rogue One without this one. You can't make The Force Awakens or Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker without this one. You, you, this is step one in order to get to all those other movies. Yeah, I will say also, okay, you know, there are some things that take me... It, we have this scene now where... Jar Jar gets in a little scrape with Sebulba, Sebulba. Mm-hmm. and it just seems to like it, I don't know it, it almost seemed like hey let's let's try to make another digital character and you know and let's see what we can do it, I don't know it seems like they were just kind of adding some stuff that they could have I mean this scene could have easily been cut you know and well, but they needed to it. introduce Sebulba he's, uh, do he's you really the I mean you could have you would have figured out that he was the big bad racer dude in the in the race because he got the biggest you know you know 
biggest pod racer and he's chucking things at people. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying it, it, these are things that I can see where people are like taken out of a rhythm in the movie. True. But it's, you know, two things, two points that this, uh, um, scene is serving episode number, you know, part one, introducing Saboba part two, it's connecting Anakin with this group right here. And, uh, you know, funny Saboba ends up eating the chicken. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's trying to do multiple things, but you're right. It's after we've had now, I mean, how long are we in the movie there now? 40 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, of 37 minutes in of characters walking from point A to point B to try to find something or connect with somebody. Now we're going to get another three, four minutes of characters walking from point A to point B to go sit on the round table. Yeah. I mean, but like, again, let's take it back to a new hope where it was like our, our goal was pretty much set up right away. You know, Mm -hmm. we knew what we need. It, it was obvious where we were going, you know, I think. Um, here it's like, this is a, this movie is a slow build as to what the overall goal that we're going to have to get to is. Um, so I can under, I'm just, I'm saying, I'm just empathizing a little bit or maybe sympathizing with people who, you know, were frustrated by this movie that it's because it it is, it's a, you gotta just gotta be patient. It's kind of like right now with me and WandaVision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's like, you know, two episodes in, I'm just like, you know, they, they give me enough to keep me intrigued and I'm going to keep watching it, but I'm just like not totally enjoying it just yet. You know, I'm sure I will, mm-hmm. but it's like, I don't know. It's uh, it's just weird. Um, you know, a lot of the acting and things are subjective and a lot of um, the critiques of this film are subjective, but you know, like that's one of the biggest um, giant uh, flashing problems that people have with this movie it's just the pace it's it's a little it's just it's off kilter it's not quite what you would expect from a blockbuster film mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the reason for that uh is because lucas wasn't beholden to any studio when he did this again i think you said earlier like this is his movie like before the critique you know, and all the complaints started flying in and he started course correcting, you know, with Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith to mixed results. Um, he was making the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. But I'm sorry. The, the thing that the thing that puts me off kilter, I'm just as you're talking, I was thinking about this is that, you know, if you talk about in most movies, you know, the conflicts that you have throughout the movie are generally with the same antagonist or group of antagonists, you know, but the conflicts that we've had so far are with fish with, um, a little bit with the battle droids and the Nemoidians. Um, pretty soon we're going to have a conflict with, we've, you know, with Sebulba. So it's like, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be focused. And it kind of gets to your point, like you said about the pacing, you know, if it's unclear as to who, who I'm supposed to be, you know, frightened of and battling, I suppose. Um, now let's talk about Darth Maul for a second. If we can, what'd you guys mm-hmm. think of the design when you first saw Darth Maul? Awesome. But- I mean, when, the second I saw him like in promotional material, I thought like, well, that's a guy with his face painted. 
I was underwhelmed, but uh, seeing him come to life on 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 film was incredible. I loved it. Oh uh, yeah, I was the opposite. I loved him from the get go because it was such a different take on a villain. We were accustomed, okay, like the original trilogy gave us Darth Vader with the mask, which is all you know. He was monochromatic. He was one color, all black, you know, and. You know, he's shown because of the of the materials that they use for his mask and his armor and whatever. So to get a cat to go from a character that had no expression to one that was very expressive. I mean, bright orange, uh, yellow eyes, bright red paint. You know, snarling at you. I'm like, okay, it's a 180 from what we got before, but but I'm ready for that. I'm ready for something different. I, I you know. Circling back, Aaron. Well, actually, Aaron. Before we circle back, what did you think? Yeah, uh, you know, again, it was a, it was a totally different look from anything like what Fredo was saying. It's totally different than anything we saw in any Star Wars. Um, it, it to me, it's obviously, and and it's also, it, it seemed to mirror Darth Vader a little. Bit. When you see Darth Vader for the first time on screen, you know that's the bad guy. You know, okay, we see Darth Sidious with a hood on. I mean, the hood doesn't make you bad. But then, but when you see Darth Maul, you know, just with, you know, his, you know, face paint or, you know, tattoos or whatever, you know, it's like society tells us that that person's, that's the bad guy, right? For right or, for, you know, wrong. Um, but uh, I, I dug the design. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, Would you... Here's another question for everybody. What what were your initial reactions to the film at large? Uh, I want to say when I came out of the theater, I was happy with it. Because I also understood. I mean, uh, this is something that in some ways I kind of accepted as I was watching the slow pace of this movie, was that this was chapter one. So in some ways it's different. it was different movie making from what uh, the original trilogy had done. The original trilogy is very much episode four, self-contained. You watch nothing else, you're good. It's not till episodes five and six that you get into the uh, chapter episodic uh, storytelling. This one, I knew from the offset, okay, we are introducing these characters. We're going to get more stories out of them. Uh, so I was okay with it. You know, in, in repeat viewings, yeah, the flaws begin to stick out because that's what flaws do, you know. Particularly, you know, particularly if you go out to a movie, you know, to a movie screening at midnight, uh, you want to be wild, you want to be dazzled, you don't want to come out disappointed. You know, I, I, I don't think I've ever come out of a Star Wars movie where I was feeling let down. I mean, I'm a homer. That's it's just <laughs> I would, uh, it, I've I've never been that way. I mean, um, you know, are the, you evil Homer? The the last you know last Jedi maybe was. I don't even. I don't even think that was one. But uh, I, of course, I, I'll leave that one off to the side because I had pain meds going into my neck through the entire thing. So uh, even Rise of Skywalker, I left going, oh, that, was, "That was cool. I dug. You know, I dug it. I had a good time. It was Star Wars. It looked like Star Wars. You know, it's after. It's when you start, you know, going home and thinking about everything that you, and like I said, reading about everything that you get all fired up about this, that, or the other. Um, like I said, I. So yeah, I, no, I I enjoyed it. That, that was my first reaction. That I, I got to see Star Wars after 15 years. You know, it was mm-hmm. awesome. 
So now we get to the point where uh, Qui-Gon begins to uh, gamble heavily, like a drunk down <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, he knows he's going to win. By the way, if I can say something, another again, thing about Jar Jar, and again, after I defend Jar Jar, now I'm, I'm noticing things that I can see why people were kind of bothered. And I, I'm going to use the Rodney Dangerfield, you know, and Caddyshack reference again. Jar Jar moves a lot when he's mm-hmm. in yeah. the scene. He just is constantly moving. And I understand you you have this digital character, so you got you can't just make him look like set dressing. You got to convince people that he's alive, but he moves around like Rodney Dangerfield tugging at his tie and, you know, shifting in his shoes and just, you know, so I can understand where it's like, dude, just sit still. Everybody else is sitting around the table. If we go back to the, you know, dinner at Shmi's house, you know, it's like everybody else is just sitting and, you know, moving their head normally. And Jar Jar's like just all over the place. So, so I can understand how some people were like taken aback by this. That was how Ahmad Best was directed to play it, too. Oh, yeah, no, and that's I, why he, yeah, that's why he was cast. Mind. You know, um, it's like you're a very physical actor, um, you know, in the in the tradition of like silent film actors. But again, you know? do you think do you think anybody do you think anybody around George Lucas said, dude, that's he's really distracting in the scene? <laughs> No, no, nobody did. You know, you know like what we, we talk about Rick McCallum, right? It was mm-hmm. executive producer. Well, he on thinks everything's effing awesome. You yeah, know? he was a yes man, <laughs> you know. And like, again, I have got nothing against him. He's probably a lovely person, um, but he was a yes man. And mm-hmm. like when George was working at 20th Century Fox, uh, there were people that he had to answer to. And that would kind of, rein him in a little bit you talked about marcia but there were other people um alan ladd gary kurtz um um i'm spacing on uh our boy who uh wrote solo oh lawrence kasdan while, while you're paused yeah. i'm larry, sorry larry kasdan yeah um there were people there were other creative forces that kept him in check so how do you guys feel about uh i mean because right now it's you know, Qui-Gon and Shmi uh, uh, talking about the virgin birth of uh, Anakin Skywalker, um, which, I mean, that that storyline, that trope, if you will, makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, it's an archetype that is in, you know, all... You know, Legend, yeah. So, um, so I, I didn't have any problem with that. But what do you think about, you know, recent comic books, like trying to plant the seed that, that Palpatine planted the seed, if you will, and manipulated the midichlorians to create Anakin Skywalker. But, but isn't that back from episode three when when Palpatine has, is at the opera house telling Qui, I mean, Anakin about, you know, using the midichlorians, you know, the Darth Plage is the wise tale. Yeah, but this uh, comic book isn't came... Isn't he basically kind of suggesting that that's what happened? No, this this comic book came out and, like, depicted, you know, showed oh. Shmi's belly and Ooh, Palpatine hey, hey, working hey, hey, over hey. a, you know, a cauldron-type thing. Um, oh, okay. I was about to say, I don't, I didn't, we didn't need to see uh, Sheev and Shmi <laughs> getting it on, okay? That did not need to be depicted. Sheev and Shmi, that's a tongue twister. Yes, it was. <laughs> and by the way, I also want to link people together that basically... Um, Grogu and Anakin are the same age. Yeah. 
So baby, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. You know, like, oh, uh, was it a different chosen one that? Uh, maybe, always two. Uh, there, always two. There are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, and it's it's an interesting point because, given the the discussion that Shmi just had with Qui Gon regarding the nature of Anakin's uh, birth, his strength in the Force, his nature, all that stuff, he is coming closer and closer to believing he is the chosen one so which is what leads to him bringing him along leads to him uh not defying the council so to speak in his way um so it creates a dynamic an interesting dynamic where you're like wait a second what if he was wrong the whole time you know what if what if it was grogu who was the chosen one who's going to bring balance to the force of course it isn't uh, because lucas clearly made it so known that it would be Anakin, but still. Well, Maul later on thinks it's uh, Luke. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people think that it was ultimately Rey, because she was the one who ultimately uh, mm-hmm. knocked uh, Palpatine out of existence. So, uh, you know, it's... Well, even in, in Rebels, though, when, you know, Maul says, is, it, is he the chosen one? And even they have Obi-Wan confirm he is. Yeah. Right. Now... I guess no, we're we're a, they never they never come out and say that hey we're both talking about this kid you're looking after, I mean it it could be that he was talking about they're both talking about Anakin Skywalker. Um, no, but but I also think but I also think that's the nature of two guys who lost everything and are hinging their last shred of hope on the kid that's down the hall or down the desert. So clearly by that point they were like, no, it can't have been Anakin. Definitely not for Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's saying you were supposed to be the chosen one, but given everything that happened, it can't be you. So prophecy, we got the prophecy wrong, but now we're going to get it right, which it would have been interesting if, if Lucas had kind of, and I get Ryan Johnson did touch on some of that in Last Jedi, the idea of, okay, you start thinking you're fulfilling prophecy, be careful. You might get it wrong 100%. And here we go, midichlorians. Okay, well, like this is where the concept really gets introduced, and then he explains it in further detail later on. Mm-hmm. Would you have been okay with it just being introduced as some sort of thing that they never explain? I, uh, I, would, I would have been okay. I would have been better with that. I, I was not like, I was again, I was not ticked off the way they explain midichlorians. Um but I think I would have been. I think. I, well, it's, I, it's, need, I, think I, I would have been better if it just would have been something that you know that. You know, you you see it and you can't believe it type of a deal, you know, <laughs> instead of being explained away, you know. Uh, yeah. I put it this way: I never needed a scientific explanation for the force. For right. people's connection to the force, I always understood, even as a kid, that the force was a, in, in yes, it was a power, but it's also a system of belief. It's, it's in many ways, it's faith. Well, now, if you believe in something you can't see or feel or touch. Well, now, here's but, the, I mean, here's the deal. Is I, I was actually just reading an article where they're, um, uh, scientists thinking they're figuring out how, um, the, what the scientific phenomena is that causes people to quote unquote hear voices, you know, the, the clairvoyance that you have down in the French quarter, you know, 
you know, and the tarot readers and everything, how they hear spirits and they're, you know, using mm-hmm. science to explain this. And it's kind of like the Dumbledore quote and said, well, of course it's in your head, but why isn't that not true? You know, mm-hmm. so why can't it be, why can't it be both, you know, um, that, yeah, science can explain some of these mystical things, but they're still, you know, they're still incredible, you know. Um, well, well, now, however, it did, it did seem a little weird where it's like, you know, microorganisms. Well, okay. well and that's, I guess that's kind of my point is, did we need it? Was it necessary? You know, in a, in a movie that's trying to set up so much. I thought, I thought we... Obi-Wan's ex- explanation in A New Hope was perfect. It's an energy force that surrounds all living things. It binds the universe together. You know, I, I thought that was the best explanation you could give. I mean, a way. Go ahead. That explanation that Obi Wan gives in that movie is why, to me, a new part of the reason a New Hope is the better introduction to the movies. And you know, it looks like that. You have that, or you have midi chlorines. And I'm not like this big midi chlorine hater person. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, that's an easier, more elegant explanation for why these people can like flip around and use laser swords and all that stuff. And part of, and I guess part of the, I get why he needed to put it in some ways. He wanted a quantifiable way of justifying why it is that, hey, Anakin has such a strong connection with the Force. How well, well I can tell you he has a strong connection with the Force, but he needs to justify in order to take this child away from his mother, bring him to the Jedi Temple, and champion him being trained under the idea that he is the most wizard of wizards to steal a line that's just flashing across my screen. Yeah, right I mean, now. abducting kids in general. <laughs> People frown upon that. I, I've, I've, I've heard that's not, that's not really like. He, he, I, had, he had Shmi's permission. Well, it's it's good to have a little bit of scientific justification, maybe, in in order to make that call. You know, uh, that could that that's as good a reason as any for that to exist. But you know what it calls to mind for me is like that's a part of the lore now. Yeah. That's how that's how impactful these movies were, and I think we kind of lose sight of that. You always think about you know our generation. We think back to the original trilogy. None of it would exist without the the OT. Um, but this was such a powerful, impactful reinvention of Star Wars. Uh, you think about all these elements now and how omnipresent they are. All of this stuff set up the Clone Wars, uh, which influenced Rebels and the Disney era in general. Um, you were talking about M Count in The Mandalorian now. We're talking about Sidious's name being dropped in The Last Jedi, you know, like those kinds of uh, things are there. Um, the score changes, um, you know, the design choices that, that now are, are, you know, a part of this universe. It's not all old and lived in and broken down. There's some new mixed in there with it. Yeah, and I think that's part of what um, Lucas was setting up to do with this movie. It's go back and take a look at the original trilogy movies. For as expansive and imaginative as they were, they've given us a slice of the galaxy. He is looking at, you know, we're we're either on Tatooine, or on Yavin, or on the Death Star, or we're on Hoth, 
or Dagobah or Cloud City. And it's like each each movie gave us at most three locations. That's it. This is a movie that's sipping around places. Actually, this one actually also gives us three three locations, but it's expanding itself. It's showing us that there's a society. It's showing us that there's these vast cultures and different aliens and different technology and all this other stuff because he's looking to expand the universe that it all takes place in. Uh, and it's something that all the, the following projects from Clone Wars through the High Republic now, they're all looking to do that, to expand. See, they, they're not, they don't want to just give you a tiny slice. They want to give you as much of it as they can, as you want. Sorry to take the conversation down, but we just passed, you know, another... Another poop another, joke. Another poop joke, you know, where the EOP farts in <laughs> Jar Jar's face. These are the things that make me go, I, you know, I get that little kids laugh at, at fart jokes, but, you know, I, I think we've we've had one too many maybe by now. Um, Is this the movie with the most poop jokes in a Star Wars movie? I think it's the only movie with poop jokes. Um, I don't remember any other ones in any other movie. But uh, and, and who and who was in the? I want to know who was in the in the meeting room. It's like you know you know what the scene needs. Have that animal fart in Jar Jar's face. It'd be awesome. Well, and what it is, it's or well, George was drunk and somebody long. just somebody just cut it in and George was drunk and saw it and he was like, yeah, leave that in. That's awesome. Ha ha. No, what it is, it's they need Jar Jar to step away from the pod in order to bubble get in there and damage it. Okay, how do we get Jar Jar out the way? Well, he's the comic relief. Poop joke. So what do you think? Hey, Bib Fortuna sighting. Yeah, well, and it's the same dude who plays Bib Fortuna. Yeah, skinny. It's, it's, it's same dude. Skinny Bib. Do did we need uh did we need Job of the Hut? Well, they said that the planet's run by the huts. Yeah. So I love the idea that, that they're bringing him in here, even if it's just tiny cameo to connect, you know, to connect him to the original trilogy. I love that idea they're saying that even though, I mean, this is the time of the Republic, you know, Jedi Knights, you know, Guardians of Peace and Justice and all that other stuff, they're quick to say, no, that's a planet controlled by the Huts. And by yeah, the way, we, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead, Fred, I'll finish the thought. No, say, no I just got to finish. Like, we got planets controlled by gangsters in our galaxy. So my, my question here, because we just had an interaction between Qui-Gon and Padme, Padme. Mm-hmm. do you think he knows from the get-go that that's the queen. I, uh, I I actually think it is, and he's just I mean he's just yank he's like yanking her chain the whole time. It's like she's like, you know I don't think we should do this. She's like you know Queen would let me do it. Nah, you know he's, mm-hmm. you know I think I think he knows and he's but he's just uh, you know I don't know Dave. Well, what do you what do you think? Do you think uh, mm-hmm. do you think Qui Gon knows? Yeah, I think so. Until the very end of the movie, when she reveals herself, he makes kind of a weird face. <laughs> I think well, Liam just played that scene wrong. Well, I <laughs> because think... I'm like, wait, is he confused? What's going on here? But yeah, I'm pretty sure he was he, he knew or was supposed to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the way he acts, because the reality is he knows what he wants to do and he knows what he needs to do. And uh, this is why he didn't want her to come along. But he finally just went, okay, the heck with this. We need to get going. Let's come along and uh, hey, and there's uh, Warwick Davis sitting next to Watto. Playing the same character that he plays in Rogue One. Not, yeah, Rogue, yeah. not Rogue One, Solo. Sorry, Solo. Solo. Mm-hmm. Solo, yeah. Fun little nugget. Um, 
You know, so I will circle back briefly. I mentioned that I was going to. So this sequence, hmm. it's great, right? Um, it's great Probably. action. Yeah, it's actiony. It's fun. It's exciting. It's fast. Yeah. It, yeah, you know, and it plays into those whole racing motifs that George is just like a huge fan of. Hmm. Um, necessary to the movie i mean like within the plot that's been established yeah but um you know it just kind of feels like an action scene for its own sake in a lot of the ways that aaron you were alluding to earlier which is that these antagonists are all just like kind of a string of antagonists that aren't like the main antagonist Right, like this is like this is a nice side trip or a side quest if you think side about quest. it in those terms. Well, and again, yeah. like, this isn't the main story. You're just helping some somebody along on your mission uh, instead of com- trying to complete the storyline. If you, it, Dave, uh, you're right. If you look at it through the through the eyes of uh, through the lenses of you know the story, yeah, it seems it seems kind of off kilter. It seems a little weird. But if you go from the utilitarian side of ILM and Lucasfilm, you know, figuring out how to do these things. Can we make, you know, digital, you know, backgrounds? Can we, you know, can we make it, you know, make it look like it's actual sand being kicked up? Can we, can we make this look realistic? I mean, they're, this is kind of like their class project almost. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and also, and kind of going back to something we said earlier, We've we've said how long, how much of this movie has happened around tables and talking and not much action. This is a big action sequence. This is uh, okay. You wanted to see stuff go fast and stuff blow up and tension and action. We're giving it to you right here for the next uh, 12, 15 minutes. How long it takes? You're gonna be entertained by the action here. And I, I gotta say, given the the slow pace of the movie so far, it, that's smart. Because, you know, it's putting, it's creating conflict and it's creating tension, but it's not necessarily doing it with uh, putting our heroes, or, you know, in this case, our protagonist, Padme, Qui-Gon, in direct threat. They're sitting. They're sitting up there watching, you know, watching the race. They're not the ones uh, whose lives are on the line. But everybody's, well, now latched onto, the, onto what's happening on the screen because, you know, stuff's going fast and stuff's blowing up, and that's cool. By the way, I, I I got Star Wars Racer for the Switch. Just so you know, uh-huh. <laughs> I, 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 are you getting vibes off of this here now? You're getting Jonesing. Are you Jonesing for a quick round or two watching this? Yeah, no, you know, it, actually, I'm looking at it going, yeah, the the graphics on the game are a lot worse than this. So, I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember when the game first came out, thinking that the graphics were incredible, and now looking at the game, it's like, yeah, yeah, but. That's right. Yeah, it's again 1999. Well, it was N64 too, so it wasn't even on a PlayStation. It was just N64, so it's very blocky. Uh, one thing that I'm still looking at now, I'm like, because this is supposed to be very much in the Ben Hur chariot race. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Saboba throws something that destroys somebody else's engines. I'm surprised we don't see more weapons and more, more flamethrowers and more stuff. You know, like I think I want to say in the novelization. There was a character or two who uh, actually tried to attack Anakin with weapons, like spears or whatnot, 
you know. You know, I your point's taken, but I also really appreciate so much of what is here. Mm-hmm. Like this sequence where his pods are sort of comes apart. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know which version you guys are watching. I think right. like that. Yeah, this is the version. Um, well, this magnet basically that allows him to reattach this part, and then later on when he has um, uh, an engine failing, he's able to transfer some fuel from one engine to the other. I believe is what's going on, but you can kind well, of piece that together well, visually. And again, it's all about the aptitude of Anakin Skywalker. Right. We're, we're 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 establishing that this kid is a lot more special than other kids around him, like Kitster or Walt. Mm-hmm. Keep going, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah, but like this is also this is all put together so intelligently visually that you really understand everything that's going on, even if you don't understand the particulars. Right. Like right. it's like I can tell that this engine there you you know needs fuel because this engine's not firing in the way that the other one is. You know, things like that you get to see and and again I'm going to show you instead of tell you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that George is um, is just basically a genius at. And one other part of this that I wanted to mention too, like here, the final lap, I know that they get to a point um, where the music kicks in. Mm-hmm. It had been all sound before that. And they were talking about how there's always this sort of push and pull between John Williams and Ben Burt. you know it's like when do you let the score take over versus when do you let just like the ambient sound and the sound effects uh do the talking and in this uh sequence they sort of compromise they let the the actual sound of the racers drive the action until the very end and at the very end when the tension's the highest that's that's when Williams it's those uh and they and they use the sound of like the engines you know they've talked about in some of the documentaries you know you can hear the Sebulba's engines getting louder and louder and louder you can feel it creeping up on you um but you know to your point Dave about you know bringing in the score it's kind of like in Irish music um and when you got a group playing an instrumental set like you have fiddle banjo you know flute playing a tune and you have guitar and every, and maybe sometimes piano comping behind. Sometimes when you drop out those comping instruments and it's just the melody for a long time and you just are focusing on them. And then when the, the guitar and the piano and the drum comes back in, it just elevates the whole experience. And that's what happens here by dropping out mm-hmm. the score and you're just relying on just what's going on, just the melody when that score comes in, then it becomes, yeah, it becomes a much bigger event and it adds to, like you said, to the tension. So. This is a masterful film. Dave's frozen. Get the, get the, get <laughs> no, the no, we can like assume necessary, but yeah. And there you go. There's the scene where he uh, fixes this engine after it catches fire, transfers fuel. And again, he's doing this all on the fly while, twisting and turning through the canyons. Again, adding tension to the moment. Uh, it's one of, it, I mean, it's easily one of my favorite sequences in the movie. I, I would, I mean, literally, I would watch this movie just for that sequence. 
What about the uh, what about the announcers? Do you need the announcers in the sequence though? Well, you know, I mean, it's I don't not mind them. I don't <laughs> mind them. I mean, again, he's trying to he's trying to give you all, you know a spectacle, so to speak, trying to make it all uh, in some ways kind of like NASCAR also. Well, so. here's the, here's the thing though is that you know this of course whose line is it anyway was was a big right was yeah, a big Greg show Lerner. yeah it was a big show at this time and when Phantom Menace came out then all I could hear. You know, it, it was just Greg Proops. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't mask anything. Didn't try to act his way. It just was Greg Proops reading the the stuff, and it just. And I I think you know George has always said that Star Wars is for kids, and I agree mm-hmm. with that. But this movie, the and the this movie in particular, and even though I really like it, they're making so many decisions that are geared towards kids. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Instead of making a movie that kids enjoy, it's like we'll put in a poop joke, we'll put in a fart joke, and we'll make you know great poop sound like this, and you go, "Oh, there goes Skywalker!" Yeehaw! You know, it's like um, it, it. It seems like they're making a cartoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but and to to Dave's point, I think I mean this is the only pod race we ever got in one of these movies. It's interesting. We got we've got plenty of. Uh, Edward Combat, we've had plenty of uh, uh, other, you know, chases and whatnot, but this is the only one that uh, we ever got, and I think that makes it unique. Jabba fell asleep, love it. Yeah, well, well, you know, hey, you know, this was race number 27 of his day, you know, you can't be bothered to be doing everything. Well, yeah, you know, to Freda's point, like, this is very much, he was trying to do different things here. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is part of it. He he he's a big fan of race cars. Yeah, like, that's well established. So yeah. like, I want to put a race scene in my movie and make it uh, matter. And so I'm gonna write my story around that. And uh, well, there's got to be there's got to be a reason. There's got to be some some story element that gets Anakin off of Tatooine. Right. And so it's you know. There has to be. So, yeah, I I think they figured out how to shoehorn that in. Yeah. By the way, going back to that, did we need this to happen on Tatooine? Did Anakin Skywalker need to be on Tatooine? Well, because we got Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Well, I mean, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru could have, you know, parted ways a long time ago and ended up on Tatooine. So it's always weird. that It's like, hey, it makes it it makes a hell of a lot easier to explain all that stuff. You know, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like it's it's surprising that we keep going back to the desert planet that's like further well, away. Okay, from... to that point, everybody, every, I've heard a lot of people say that you know that say you know especially like when, um, whenever there's a new Star Wars movie and it has sand on it, they're like, oh, we're going back to Tatooine. But however, I will say this: there's something about pl- places on this planet. It's like mm-hmm. you look at Vienna. There's something about Vienna that was in the water or something where why, why do you have Mozart and Beethoven? You got, you got these, these big names that of the classical era that Vienna was the hotspot, New Orleans. What mm-hmm. is special about New Orleans that it, you know, brings about Jelly Roll Morton and, you know, Louis Armstrong and, um, you know, uh, Buddy Kid Bolden, Ori right. and Buddy Bolden. What? It, what is it about? Why didn't? Why didn't that happen in Jackson, Mississippi, just up the road? You know what I mean? So, th- I think. I think 
you know, okay, science explains away things, but I, I think in this case, and in the case of New Orleans and Vienna, I think there are just some, you know, cosmic elements that just are that pe- that things are drawn to, and Tatooine is that is the center of the Star Wars mm-hmm. universe. You know, for, in storytelling, really, it was for these movies. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. I don't have a problem with it going back. First of all, it makes it just makes it easier to explain Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. But I also like the idea of, like I said, there is something about Tatooine that we're always going back there. There's something about it in a cosmic sense, you know, in a big, you know, more umbrella sense. It's the sand, isn't it? Yeah, it gets everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, this is... This whole sequence, I guess, some of it is more successful than the rest of it with Anakin leaving, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite lines of dialogue in the movie are coming up, which are, I don't want things to change, but you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting. And how big is that for his arc? It's absolutely huge for his arc. Um, but it's also it also ties back in with what I was talking about, which is the point of this movie in the first place, which is like this movie is all about change. Um, a group of people who saw Star Wars when they were kids and then grew up and decided, I want more Star Wars. And I went to Phantom Menace when it when it came out in the theaters and watched this movie and soundly rejected it. I, I always think about that particular piece of dialogue because it's it's almost as if Lucas is trying to calm down his audience who who has grown up at this point. Uh, who only wanted what they'd previously experienced. I mean, I like to say that Rogue One was the movie that they wanted in place of this one. They eventually got that. But this movie came out the same year as The Matrix. Um, You know, you think about the 90s era in general where everything had to be cool. Um, You think about The Matrix compared to this movie, a harsh comparison. This This is Lucas's flights of fancy, colorful, fanciful aimed at kids it's just way less cool and it's and it's different and it's like well this isn't my star wars this isn't my star wars but things change Mm -hmm. and and the thing is the audience changed like lucas changed he he put a bunch of stuff into this movie that nobody had seen before um but the audience changed as well. And I think like there's just there needs to be an acknowledgement of that from the fans who come into this thing and just think, well, this was just terrible. I was like, well, no, you grew up. <laughs> yeah, I, you by, the, by the way, real quick to what's going on, on the screen, not to take away your to what you're saying. Um, Anakin saying goodbye to his mother, hat tip to Dave Filoni and um and John Favreau for what they did in that last episode of the Mandalorian, basically mirroring, mirroring this scene. You have the Jedi to the left. You have 
Grogu or Anakin in the middle and you have the parent on the right. And I mean, it is like almost identical that whole saying goodbye scene. I just think that mm-hmm. was so cool for the Mandalorian to do that. Sorry. Yeah, you're, you're good. No, I like the rhyming of that as well. I love it when they reference <coughs> this era, especially Filoni, because obviously he is like, you know, George's protege, basically. <laughs> but I, you know, I'd made my point, I think. I it just, you know, this is that that line of dialogue fits so so perfectly. It's it's the thesis, the central theme of not just this movie, but in many ways, the prequels, the desire to keep things as they are, and how the in some ways pursuing such a goal is destructive, self-destructive definitely, but can be destructive in a greater sense. Because trying to avoid change, trying to avoid bad things from happening, trying to avoid uh, things from moving in new directions is ultimately what brings down Anakin. He doesn't want to lose those he loves and thinks he can gain some sort of way enough power to prevent that from happening. And the reality is, is that's impossible. And But in his trying, he does so much damage to himself and the people he loves. That's, the, that's the, the sad part is, at the end of it all is, he ends up losing everything by his own actions. He doesn't lose them because Palpatine is evil or the Clone Wars are now, now the Republic gets overthrown by the Empire. No, he, he loses everything because he cannot accept or admit to uh, his inability to let go, like Yoda was telling him. And some people would say, well, wait a minute, you know, you're supposed to be a, you know, a normal person doesn't want to let their loved ones go, and you're right. But at the same time, you understand that there's no way to prevent that. You know, that's the course of life, the natural course of life. Um, it's just, it's uh, it's interesting because, I mean, they're they're telling you right that, you know, Lucas is putting that, that right in there in the middle and how important it comes back for the next movie in terms of what Anakin chooses to do for Shmi and then later on for Padme. Um, I will say, I mean, and, and sometimes I, I think we, you know, is the Phantom Menace flawed as a movie? Yes, there are, there are flaws. Few few things, one hundred percent perfect. But I think all, and then this is kind of what I've always said about the prequels. You can see what he was planning on doing. You can see what his messages were. He does not hide anything. You know, if some way, you know, that's that's what makes it so Shakespearean. It's a tragedy. It's gonna, you know, you're seeing good people make dumb choices because they don't want stuff to happen. And, you know, it ends up going horribly wrong. Uh, like, like, you know, like right now on the screen, there's uh, Padme is comforting Anakin, who, you know, for the first time, little kid out on his own. And uh, he's giving her the little juniper uh, uh, necklace. By the way, I want to I, I want to say again, this scene with with Jake Lloyd, I want to defend Jake Lloyd for a second. Mm-hmm. This is a, he did good in this scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. I, I don't understand. I don't understand people. Yeah, no, I've seen this, I've seen example, far I've seen far worse child actors. I mean, well, let's get real. Yes, yes, Aaron, tell us more how evil children are. 
I've said I've seen far worse <laughs> children actors. I didn't say they were evil. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. No, what I said was, no, I was going to say was the scene prior, the one where he says goodbye to 3PO, that one kind of stuck to me. Like, okay, come on. Like, you're acting, you're acting way too, uh, kid in a, car, in a commercial here, kid. But then, <laughs> yeah, but then this one here with both the one with Padman and here, right here with uh, Rick Ali, where he's, you know, he looks like a, and feels like a kid in this world getting to know so much and uh, being honest about his emotions. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people complained back when the prequels you know, were later dissected about how cold some of this feels, you know, the, the emotional distance. But I think those moments like that one between Padme and Anakin kind of show that, you know, they are, there's some, attempt there are attempts by these people to connect emotionally with one another that they're trying to be good and uh you know they're just kind of hemmed in and stuck I by wish, the realities of the world they live in i wish terrence stamp would have said kneel before zot i mean yeah welcome back hey, welcome I mean, it's impossible yeah. it's impo- oh my gosh i love terrence stamp uh so like coruscant cityscape we finally see coruscant here First time ever, and like not the first time me, ever. It was in the special editions. They they had uh, yeah. that's where but they first set up. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, so yeah, second time ever. But like in like full in full glory. Um, I got Fifth Element vibes from this immediately. Like I thought they were inspired by the Fifth Element, and I don't know if there's anything to that or not. But yeah, night cars. They're both influenced by Metropolis, yeah. uh, Fritz Lang, which, I mean, you look at Metropolis, you could see, I mean, 3 PO's uh, design is 100% copied from Metropolis. Uh, so that's kind of where, where both uh, George Lucas and Luc Besson kind of took that idea. But yeah, in some ways, this is like the nice, clean version of the Fifth Element's New York City, because there's yeah. no grind, there's no, there's no crummy ca- uh, cabs, you know. Yeah, we'll see that in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. And I think well, well, I think that's mm-hmm. something, again, because you said there's no grime. I think that's another thing that set people kind of off about this is not my Star Wars. And and if they but if you would have been listening to George Lucas, he's like, This everything's going to be more shiny. Everything's a little bit more new and not beat in. But it it does kind it it is a sharp, you know, juxtaposition to what we see, you know, in A New Hope and Empire and Jedi, where things are kind of beaten but, up and gray. But also, the, the Coruscant that we see in here, because we're only seeing the top level. We're only seeing Palpatine's quarters and the Senate and all the nice, and the Jedi Temple. The nice, pretty spots. Episode 2 actually takes you down further in, so you start seeing more grime and nightclubs and people selling drugs and diners. And all. So you that get to sticks. see more where normal people live. Yeah, yes. Death sticks. Uh, we'll get to them <laughs> at one point. But no, but you know, you get to see more of the ground. And then by episode three, you, when, you know, after three years of war, you start to see the degradation, the way things are falling apart. And, you know, it, it's it's a subtle commentary. You know, we're seeing that the, the knives, we're seeing the foyer or the ante room. We're seeing where, where you, you know, entertain guests. That's That's got to be nice and clean and pretty looking. You know, taking everybody up to the back where it's all, grimy and stinky and uh you haven't done dishes in two days it's like cribs with fredo here that's uh, right that's right this is where the magic happens according to palpatine here's machiavellian you know oh, yeah. playing uh 
queen for everything she's worth. All right, so we're and we're flying to the Jedi Temple here. I'm going to say the best decision that Lucasfilm ever made was replacing that god awful puppet with CG Yoda. You know, because in the it, when it was released in the theater, that puppet looked awful. <laughs> And I understand, well, he's going to be younger. You know, it's like in the in a 900-year lifespan, he's 30, what, 30 years younger? And, you know, so they, but they made him look awful. But they fixed him with a CGI Yoda after episode I'm what, two. I'm, so. watching, I'm watching the puppet now. I'm watching the old version. Are you really? On oh. DVD. It's awful. That was the only change they made, I think, for the Blu-ray mm-hmm. and the digital uh, release. But, uh well, we're going to see Samuel L. And I think Anakin flashes him a look when he comes in. And and Samuel L.'s like, uh, no, he will not be trained. Uh, Anakin flashes him a look. And that, that kind of sows the seeds for their conflict later on in episode three, I think. I remember uh, my friends and I were really geeked out when the trailer came out and... Um they have the quote from Mace Windu saying, you, you speak of the prophecy of, you know, mm-hmm. and to hear about a prophecy that made us all go, Oh my God, there's a prophecy. You know, uh, that was just kind of a cool little element that they added to this, you know, the one who will bring balance to the force. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, so. is that in some ways, not the episode one version of JJ Abrams mystery box. Yeah. Maybe yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Prophecy, what does it mean? Balance of the force. You know, again, it's it's setting up a mystery in the first movie that we hope by the third movie get an answer. Now, the interesting thing is we knew what the answer was going to be in some ways, but that's still a conversation that movie didn't rely on it. That's still a conversation we have to have is what does it mean for the force to be in balance? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're going to dedicate probably 12 episodes to that if we're trying to actually run rapid and figure it out. But, uh, um, okay. yeah, we may, we may chase off our viewers for that. What were you going to say, Fredo? No, I was just going to okay, the scene right here where Anakin goes in to say goodbye to Padme and the queen comes out to say goodbye and say, well, we'll, t- we'll say goodbye on your behalf. I'm like, if that's not screaming to you that he's been hanging with the queen... Right. Yeah. No, like for all the debate, you know, the quote unquote debate over that, it's like, oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I, I, it's I obvious. think, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> the second she decided she, you know, when Padme is like on screen, <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's Natalie Portman and she's the queen. That's clearly mm. her. And they're like, I'm going to Tatooine with you. And it's like, well, yeah, no, you're the queen. We but, by the way, because we were talking, you know, of course, then she's using a, you know, a kind of a little bit of an English accent and stuff like that. Did you guys see the interview with, with uh, Bill Burr, how people were getting called, kind of calling him out yeah. on the fact that, yeah. you know, um, that his character in The Mandalorian had uh, a Boston accent and right. his response was, but they have no problem with a British accent in Star Wars? And I'm like, touche. <laughs> you know? Very much so. Very much so. Well, no, no. They're not a problem with a British accent as long as it's on a Jedi Master or a villain. Yeah, if I guess That's so. We'll accept them. That's where we'll accept them. Hey, well, uh, you know, we're seeing the Senate chamber right now, and I think George has been quoted, and again, this could be him rewriting history, but he's done that a time or two. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he has said that he established the Senate chamber in this movie so that he could have a fight sequence in it so later could, on. So he could throw the whole Senate at Yoda? Yeah. And uh, I like to believe that that's actually true. Um, because some of this is, you know, to the criticism, you know, some of this is a little dry. We're talking about politics. Well, but you're also to, to Fredo's earlier comment about, you know, George Lucas making a comment about a commentary about democracy, you know, in that third movie, it's literally, you know, democracy being destroyed. I mean, figuratively and literally by destroying the Senate building, you know, so right. it would it would make sense. I I had not heard that quote, Dave. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, in the Senate here, I love the fact that we have ETs. Yeah, there they are. <laughs> but no, I mean, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like we're gonna set this up, and in the third movie, we're gonna bring it all down. Yeah, it make I mean, it mm-hmm. makes sense. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, it's it's this kind of stuff you're thinking about because you know you're going to get to that episode three point. So it's interesting that, because in so many ways, the Palpatine's power, not at the Emperor, not Darth Sidious, but Palpatine's power relies on that, and that Senate chamber. That's where he said it's most powerful, that's where he can read people, that's where he can know um, how to maneuver and how to gain, you know, gain for himself. Uh, and it's interesting that his final sort of triumph, not only his triumphant moment, you know, beating, you know, overthrowing the Republic and installing the Senate or the Empire happens there, but also later on, a literal duel to the death against the person who most embodies everything he despises, which is Yoda, happens there. No wonder he knows, you know, Yoda wasn't going to beat him there. You know, and it, um, Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon just had a nice moment. When it's mm-hmm. like when he, he says to Qui-Gon, do, do not defy the council again. <laughs> that, that's one of those things that, that was in the novelization. They always established that Qui-Gon would have been on the council were he not so outspoken, were he not so uh, forward-thinking. You know, like he, They established that much like every other institution, the Jedi Council has become stayed and conservative and you know they, they, they got their dogma and they're not willing to shift from it whereas um, Qui-Gon is very much someone who's progressive and different minded and he's willing to call out you know uh, the nonsense so to speak and that doesn't make him any friends in order to gain a position of authority Here, here, Jar Jar has a nice, quiet mm-hmm. moment with Padme. Yeah, that's well done. You know, it's... Lisa got a grand army. Wait, you didn't tell me you had an army. <laughs> <laughs> Gears are turning. Yeah. <laughs> and here's where Palpatine's been nominated to succeed, and uh, so, oh wow, what a surprise! <laughs> but a welcome one. Yeah. Do you, th- exactly. do you think? Uh, do you think Padme's on to uh, Palpatine from the get-go? No. 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 I mean, no, I, I don't. I don't think she trusts him for anything. No, but but also, there's there's something that smells wrong. You can tell the way she reacts a couple times when he, you know, said stuff about Valorum. I mean, she's been manipulated a little bit, but I 
don't think she totally trusts him. But I think, but I think it's also it's and it's part of her nature. Is she she took this script as a form of action. She she can't topple the Federation who's taken over her planet, so she's coming to the Republic for help. And then, uh, but now she knows that there's an actual army. She can't topple the Federation and Naboo without the Republic's help. Uh, she's decided, she's like I said, her wheels are turning inside her head, and she's like, ah, the heck with this. These people are not going to help me. I like how, too, the um, when he plays his Sidious persona later on, he's mm-hmm. like, this, this is an unexpected move, or it's too aggressive. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he even allows for that there, that she sort of took him by surprise. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it still plays out the way that he wants it to. And, you know, he still wins. Right. Oh, and here's what Anakin's look. Yep. By the way, did I hear uh, I, people? I think it's fan casting, but you know, it's like if there would be a um, a Palpatine, like a young Palpatine uh, movie? series movie or whatever. And I think what are they saying? Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Is that what I heard? Was that the name I heard? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you. I mean, it would make sense because he can play smart. And he could play slightly devious. I don't know. I, I, I'm not necessarily in, in, in the market for a Sheev prequel or origin story. Yeah. You know. And by the in way, way is, some, I'm sorry. By the way, in the in the council, does Yoda and Mace Windu just call all the shots and everybody else just there for set dressing? Well, I believe. Yeah, I believe. There's a great robot that, chicken episode yeah. where it's like, wait a minute, don't don't we get a say in this? It's just you two. <laughs> And we'll just sit here and look cool. No, uh, I believe that the term is that it's, uh, well, no, Qui-Gon, you know, no, Keati Mundi gets a word in. Yeah, he, he gets Keati a, Mundi gets to, <laughs> gets to talk. Yaddle does not, you know. Miss, you know. <laughs> Keati Mundi is uh, number three, I guess, in the pecking order. Yeah, there's Plo Koon, doesn't get a word in this time. By the way, okay, so here, this moment where Anakin, when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are arguing, and they're arguing about training, is, is it just me, or is Obi-Wan coming off a bit childish? Yeah. Like, like, I get the sense that he's trying to protect his master, whom he cares for, but at the same time, it's like, dude, like, you're coming off like somebody who just got rejected, and Qui-Gon's very much in a, I must make it out, mode. Um... The, oh my gosh, Master and Apprentice touches mm-hmm. on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's so good, you guys. We're going to do a book ranking at some point, and spoiler alert, that's going to probably rank pretty high for me. Um, I love that mo- I love that book. That's, was that Claudia Gray that wrote that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Might have to yeah, give that... her a holler. Okay, here yeah. you go. Here you go, Aaron. Here's your full midichlorian uh, dissertation. <laughs> And the, the way that the kid asks about it too, like that's some of it, you know. Oh, oh god, that's awkward. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> like they just or, handed him just handed him his lines right then. Just read these, yeah. Jake. And like, read I've been line. wondering, what are midi chlorians? Midi chlorian. It's like we're it's like we're on Mister Wizard or something, you know. It's like <laughs> no, no. It's it's like have you ever seen like when you whenever you watch like a training video, 
well, what yes. are this? And it's like, that, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> hey, I'm Timmy, glad. how would you like to take a break from that lead-based paint and learn about dodgeball? <laughs> Jeepers, mister. A <laughs> little bit of a, a Wally and the Beef uh, hmm. vibe. Hey, how do we? How'd you guys? Let's just talk about uh, the the aesthetics here. Obviously, um, um, Coruscant is very Art Deco. What do you? What do you? Mm. How'd you like the the aesthetics of the uh, Naboo ships, the the fighters and the cruiser and all that? I like them. Again, they, they were again. It's different from what we've seen before, and I, and I like that. I like that they were not just simply going to give us. More of the same, like the the ships and the taxes and stuff you see on Coruscant feel more like what we've gotten. So I love the idea. It's okay, this is a separate culture. They value uh, aesthetic beauties. Therefore, everything's going to be sleek and shiny and Art Deco-ish. And, you know, okay, cool. You know, it's different. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I want to, you know, another thing that I would say the costume design in this movie didn't get nearly enough credit. Uh, I don't think they even got an Oscar nomination. And she created all of these amazing outfits, obviously for the queen and, you know, all the people in Naboo and the, you know, the Jedi and so on and so, and so on and so on. It just, it's incredible. Um, and just, no, you know, yeah, it's Star Wars. We're not going to take it seriously, I guess. Mm-hmm. But did, okay, so second question that I need explained: Why did they take all the ships away from the from the blockade? Is it because they've already conquered the ship, the planet? No, I mean because it. it I mean, of course they leave the the one droid control ship up there, but you're like, okay, probably no, because no they have support. control of the surface. Yeah, but no support ships, no backups, no, hey, just in case, something happens, you know. Yeah, maybe their funds are limited and they had another. They had another plan, plan to go conquer? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know gotta... like, that's, I guess, that's a valid criticism of this end sequence. At this point, the scale of it is a little underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when you see the battle droids line up on the field, um, you can say, well, oh, there's a couple hundred of them. You know, it was an impressive sequence at the time. Right. Uh, but now when you look at it, you're like, well, that's that's a little underwhelming. By the mm-hmm. way, uh, is it, and I'm going to take it on a different path because we just had um, Qui-Gon saying to Obi-Wan that we can't use our powers to help them. And it's like the Jedi talk about using their powers like, somebody quitting smoking where you know i've I've quit smoking but i I just i only have a cigarette after meals and i have one you know when i wake up in the morning so you haven't really quit smoking you know what i mean it's like we can't use our powers to help her except to kill all these battle droids and to take on darth maul and you know and it happens in the clone wars series as well it's like when they go to onderon and help saw guerrera it's like you know, we can't use our powers to help you, but we're going to train you how to kill everybody. It's like, okay, that's a that's a difference without a distinction, or a distinction well, without a difference, whatever. It's it just mm-hmm. seems kind of they play they play fast and loose with their rules. Is what I'm saying. Which, like for example, when you saw uh, Qui Gon try to Jedi mind trick uh, Watto, 
and Smart not for knowledge and defense. Up. Yeah. Right, right. That's near knowledge or defense. You know, that he's trying to swindle some dude out out of money he knows that he can't use. But it's also it's so well known that Wado was able to say, Oh, you wait, what do you think? You're some sort of Jedi? So how common is it that they use it? That even Wado, you know, somewhere out there in the far fringes of space is able to go, ah, dude, you're trying to you're trying to swindle me here by by trying to trick me here like you're a Jedi. No. How common is the Jedi using their powers like this? Hey, we're we're getting close to Dave's uh, awkward Obi Wan Qui Gon look because the, <laughs> because Padme Padme just there revealed us. There it is. Yep, there you go. There you go. <laughs> like, well, well, maybe did he know? Maybe maybe it was like I mean maybe that was that cause was kind of a look from Qui Gon like told you. Did we miss this one? You know. And, and or or one of them owes the other one five bucks or something you know yeah that could be it that would have been great to see like you know obi-wan <laughs> slip qui-gon five dollar bill <laughs> republic credits and qui-gon's like no i told you republic credits are no good <laughs> well we can shut it down i don't know if we're gonna beat that joke that's uh... <laughs> yeah. so the, oh. um, go ahead now, I just got to say right quick, I, I am so glad that George got Brian Blessed in this movie. Because if you're going to, you know, because Boss Nash is 100% Brian Blessed. Yeah. As a man who loves, grew up loving, loves Flash Gordon, to get Prince Volton in Star Wars is just perfect. We're also setting up... Um the climax of the movie where we're getting to that point. Uh, it has the same intercutting structure as the previous two movies with empire and return of the Jedi, both employed that technique, but this time it's four different arcs. And like empire, I think it was two return of the Jedi. It was three. three. Yeah, Cause you got what well, you got Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon going after Darth Maul. You got the attack on the droid ship You've got the Gungans fighting the battle droids, and then you've got the incursion into the castle. Padme and them trying to capture the Viceroy. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever feel like it's too much? I think it. I I thought it worked from the beginning. You know. I mean, nothing feels like you don't know what's happening, and and in some ways, I love the intercuts between the moment between the various uh, battle moments. You know, to kind of connect them together. So you're never lost as to what's happening. You know, I mean, they do a good job here at the at the map scene, describing what is the goal. I mean, like the the ultimate goal is capture the viceroy. That's it. You know, that's gonna be the move, and everything else is decoys and deflections. And then Maul shows up and draws the Jedi away to their own thing. Uh, but you know full well what the goal is, and you know the movie intercuts well enough so you never unaware of what's happening or where people are standing. I will say this, however, um, Jake Lloyd act did a far better acting job in this movie than Natalie Portman. Yeah, as, I, that, as much, that, as much as yeah. I love Natalie Portman and she's a great actress, but, and I, and I also will throw it out there that George Lucas can't direct, you know, actors for junk. Um, but she is so just 
Still good. They that over. What's that? I, they dubbed all of that over. I don't know if you've heard the ori- any of the original dialogue, but it was her voice less monotone. And they decided they needed something more stilted and formal. Well, I understand when she's being like in the, her right. queen garb, queen. but you know, I understand that. But like when she's planning a battle and she's like, and then they'll do that. It was just monotone and, you know, it without any sort of, you know, it's got to have a little George Patton in you, you know, I mm-hmm. mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, though she's not trying to fire anybody up at that point. She's talking to three other people, and they're just strategizing. So, um, and here you know, go I, with the first shot. But yeah, this, this is the first shot we ever saw of new Star Wars in that trailer. Yeah, but do you remember when the trail, the, the teaser trailer for Phantom Man is dropped, and yeah. everybody was watching it and watching it? It was like I think it was the first video that went viral on the internet. I literally went to a movie to watch the trailer. Did you leave after? No, I watched the movie. Wait, what was it? Meet Joe Black or? No, it was um, uh, it was the Star Trek movie that was out at the oh, time. Insurrection, I think, or yeah. First Contact, maybe. Okay, yeah, Insurrection. Yeah, because yeah, I remember those those the stories of oh they you know because it's 20th Century Fox who was releasing it at the time. Um, they attached it to, I want to say it was Meet Joe Black or some other movie of theirs. And people were literally paying to go in, see the trailer, and walk out. And I'm like, okay, at least it's safe to watch your movie. You got what you came for. Everything else is lame, yeah, but that was what people did. I mean, you know, like, to that point, though, I, I said earlier that like, I would watch the pod race. Like, that makes the movie worth watching for me. Mm-hmm. Like, the same way with the I feel the same way about the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I watched the end straight through and I know that there are fan edits, you know, where it's like just the Darth Maul bits. Um, no, I... Yeah. And, 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 and I agree. I mean, I mean, sometimes I mean, like if you only want to see the lightsaber duel, okay, cool. That works. But, you know, again, we're going to, we're going to get into how well intercut the various scenes are, the various action moments are right here between the shootouts and the duels and the battles. By the way, is it weird that the that Padme's handmaidens are all technically minors are in the middle of this firefight? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and, and, and Qui-Gon's bringing a child into that battle scene? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it is. Uh, we, are, we are putting kids in danger through most of this, aren't we? Very much so. The droids don't know they're not fighting. But I guess there's no way for Anakin not to become the show that he's not a great pilot if he doesn't get on the ship. All right, I got a question. How do the R2 units get into those ships? That's one thing that drives me nuts about Star Wars movies since it from the prequels through the sequels. Well, is that, there you go, they shot this one. But it makes no sense whatsoever uh, it, and it, it doesn't like where's r2's shoulders oh because you only see the head well the, the head and and then the tube that he's in is flush with his with the you know the circumference of his head so where's his shoulders and it's like in episode two and episode three those jedi starfighters it's like there's just an r2 unit head and there's uh, uh drives me that you talk about that drives me bonkers <laughs> you know 
with as great of artists, you know, that they have at ILM, somebody didn't say that makes no sense. Or at the very least, if you're going to do it, you got to show that R2's head kind of has a telescopic rotor and kind of comes up. Or in, um, um, uh, I think it was in, it was in the sequel trilogy where you see, uh, I think, yeah, in Poe's X-Wing, it grabs B, a little suction cup, grabs BB-8 by the head and pulls him, you know, into mm-hmm. the X-Wing. Right. But then where does that little suction cup thing go that was on top of his head? You know what I mean? They're these little things. It's like, I don't know, I, I'd much rather, uh, like in Star Wars Rebels, where they just show Chopper, like, launch some, you know, rockets and then jump into the ship. That makes far more sense than any right. of this stuff. Well, but it's also like- in, in episode four, though, they actually showed you putting R2 into, and they designed the X-Wings so that it showed how their droid fit because they actually had to put a thing in there, not a digital, you know, creation. Anyway, okay, I'll get off. I'll, I'll shut up now. Yeah. All the battle yeah, droids, we'll get off your lawn. awesome We will get off your digital do- the lawn. All the battle droids, awesome shot. That was, I mm. loved that when they unload all the battle droids. I like that when they did revealed that these, uh, they recorded individual movements for um, each of the droids um, and, and how that was done as well. Like the, some of the behind the scenes stuff of this film were, was was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know all that effort here really really paid off and again like i said if you if you take a eagle eye view of the battle it looks like kind of a small thing um but maybe it wasn't supposed to be the biggest battle of all time either and they mm-hmm. really ramp things up in later movies yeah and, and obviously i mean at this point this is a minor skirmish for right. a single planet Episode two opens up with the big opening battle of a galactic civil war. So it's levels above. And I, always, moment, and I always love the idea that they kept his design away from everybody so that they didn't know until they, the doors opened. I think they only, they said they only showed him, they only shown Ray Parks look to uh, um, Liam Neeson and Neil McGregor. And that moment when he so when he opens and you see everybody kind of flinch back and just stare, that was actually an actual reaction that everybody gave because they had no idea what the heck it was. So I love that. I love that. And, you know, that's a good way to get. You know, you know, George Lucas doesn't know how to direct actors, but he knows if I keep this away and I show it to them at this moment, they will know what to think. And double-bladed lightsaber. That was, I remember, a big geek out moment for everybody when we saw that in the trailer and such. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, the choreography, stunning. Yeah. Probably still the best uh, uh, lightsaber duel. Mm-hmm. In- uh, technically, yes. Yeah. It, it, it's probably the least uh, emotional, impactful, uh, right up until Qui Gon. Uh, passes on uh, or goes down, so to speak. Uh, but in terms of technically uh, the the choreography, I think this is as good as it gets in terms of lightsaber duels. Well, as good as you can make it, probably. Unless you decide to just bring, I don't know, martial artists and all the wired uh, stunt guys from China. Now, 
I talked about, you know, the pod racing uh, sequence shows, you know, Anakin's aptitude. This, however, him flying the starfighter, that that that's like me doing my button smashing job about any video game that I play. I would drive you crazy where I just mash buttons until like when I'm it, that's what he's doing in here. It's just like, well, let's let's just push this button and see what happens. Or, hey, let's try spinning. That's a good trick. You know, instead of actually in pod racing, it shows him being thoughtful and, you know, making decisions. Whereas this is just kind of like, again, me button smashing with playing Smash Brothers. So, I don't know. What... It, doesn't, it doesn't establish him as the best pilot in the galaxy in the same way that the other sequence does. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, I mean, because they're saying, okay, he's being guided to by an autopilot. So it's not even like he's willingly doing this. Yeah, really, this is R2 just doing everything. Yeah, R2, R2 is R2 the best the star pilot in the galaxy. <laughs> well, we kind of knew that already. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good point regarding just simply, okay. And I wonder how hamstrung George felt by his own words back in 1977 when he had to write this movie 20 years later. Like, how willing was he to make stuff fit what he already said had happened? You know, God help me, Jar Jar's antics, I love them in, during <laughs> the uh, battle. Yeah. You know, he's not up to this. He's, like, running around, and he's just, like, scared and a coward and and yet things are still going reasonably well for him it's just i mm. i crack up probably every time by the way was that ben burt that got blown up right there no it was john knoll john john, okay. yeah john knoll is the uh the, the, the naboo star fighter pilot who got blown up yep the only the only uh pilot with a mustache with a goatee i think so. <laughs> thus he needed to go no it's a galaxy far far away we can't have goatees in it the droid control ships have a bit of an interesting design with the sphere shape mm. in the center of the ring. It's almost Death Star reminiscent. You know, in episode two, I was hopelessly confused. Oh, yeah. When they started, you know, launching off of Geonosis, I was just like, it was not until they died. I was like, okay, that was, that's totally weird. That centerpiece is a landing portion i don't know it was right it seemed it was just weird fun better okay. here the one ascension gun that didn't work so they sped the guy up in the the next shot to make it look like he was catching up mm -hmm. but but i'll say that that feels very flash gordon-y the ascension guns yeah it just feels like something okay uh, of well, course we have this and batman yeah and batman, batman has yeah his grandpa <laughs> I, I, this is so classic. Um, I think like when you're trying to design sequences like this, um, the tension for the audience really comes in where you're like thinking to yourself you're, and you're, you're watching this unfold. You're like, don't get separated. Right. You're like, don't get, don't let yourself get separated. Your strength is in your numbers. You know, you can't, you can't let yourself get separated. And so, of course, they get separated. 
And of course, as an audience member, you're like, oh, I don't feel good about this. Well, and this this is actually mirrored in Rebels when Kanan goes up against the Grand Inquisitor. Kanan, right. Kanan and Ezra, and then Ezra gets knocked down a level. I mean, they really took that almost shot for shot as well. Which now, looking back on I mean, that makes that scene in Rebels that much more harrowing because it's like, oh, great, is Kanan going to get, you know... Qui-Gon. Yeah, Qui-Gon, you know, but it actually goes the other way. So, I love this part part here that when, that when Qui-Gon just meditates in the middle of a fight. Right. They all have their different reactions that are completely in character. Like right. quite is meditating, you know, connecting himself to the, to the life side of the force. Uh, Maul is uh, like prowling. Yeah. He's pacing you know? like a tiger at a zoo. Yeah. Looks like a tiger. And then you've got uh, Qui-Gon or you've got a uh, Obi-Wan. I mean, uh, who's just like eager, you know, young, impetuous, can't wait to get involved in it and you can see you can see it in his body posture he's eager to get through the barrier and it's perfect right it's part of the reason that duel is as highly regarded as it is is because it's like not only choreographed perfectly but they also um each of the actors played it beautifully too okay can i just write quick why did the Galactic Republic, why did the Jedi not borrow the Gungan energy ball weapon <laughs> to win the Clone useful. Wars in two minutes? Yeah, they seem pretty useful, don't they? Yeah, they seem, I mean, one shot, one kill. I mean, I would say that that's a good, you know, and if you make them big, you can take out a whole tank. You know, that, that would have been a good way to you know, knock out at least a few of those battles. I got to say the production of, uh, of those is probably the problem. You can't produce them quickly enough to. Uh, yeah. And that might be a, there might, there has to be a reason, but still like, cause they're very effective against, uh, against, uh, droids. So this was a successful movie in the sense that it made a gazillion dollars, right? <laughs> yep. Um, legs on this movie were crazy. Like, Modern blockbusters, they don't have legs like this. You know, they make all their money in the first two weeks, basically. Um, whereas this thing, people just kept going back to it all summer long. Uh, it's, it's basically the last movie of its kind in that regard. Um, do, you think, do you think people got their money's worth? Do you think they felt good about you know going back over and over again i like i said this end sequence for me makes the cost of admission worth it mm -hmm. i think they did i think but this way if you're going back multiple times there's enough in this for you to like and enjoy that you want to see it again and then i think in some ways that's the difference when looking and, at a and movie. drop money to do that. It's not like right. I'm just going to open up Disney Plus and watch it as much as I want. People were dropping, you know, 10, 10 15 bucks. bucks, whatever it was right. at the time. Right. And then I think that that's the big point is that people were making the conscientious uh, decision to spend time, money, effort to to see this movie multiple times as opposed to, oh, I can, like I said, like I said, fire up the app and I'll just catch it on a Saturday afternoon that I'm bored. And adios. There goes Qui-Gon. 
Uh, Lucy barked to hurt it. (laughs) She, (laughs) she heard it and barked. Right. And then, uh, but I also think, I'm thinking, I think that the last movie actually, there's one movie that I know kind of had legs similar to this, Dave. Uh, it was Black Panther. Because that came out in February of 2018. I want to say it was 2018. And that was still rolling all through the summer. But that, that you know, but that that's more of a cultural touchstone, milestone, so to speak. Yeah. You know, for most movies. No, you're right. And at this point, particularly now, if you don't make your money within the first two, three weeks, you're done. By the way... You, isn't it interesting that um, George Lucas made the decision in this movie not to have Qui-Gon disappear? Now, I know he's not technically dead yet, but I'm when not he, dead yet. yeah, <laughs> I'm getting, getting better. better. Um, but still, I mean, you don't have that disappearing body that you had with Obi-Wan, with Yoda, you know, you, or even Anakin becoming a forced ghost. You know, so that was established, I, and that I, that really did throw us for a loop. I think back in mm-hmm. 1999 was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, how can some Jedi disappear, but others don't? Did right. you were you guys struck by that at the time in the moment? I mean, it's since been explained in the Clone Wars. You mm-hmm. know why why this is and how this is and who gets to, you know, disappear. Um, which I don't think Ben Solo earned that but that's okay nope. uh but did, were, like we said, did that the, did that awesome take part. you for a loop when you watch this no no i mean because it's interesting i mean we only had the two examples of yoda and ben, old yeah, ben. but to be fair those were the only jedi that we had up until that point so everything right. we knew about jedi and the force was established and we saw a pattern right then so, that pattern was broken the point here. Being, i guess the point being that it's not like it was so egregious or so off-putting that you went, well, how come he didn't disappear? And in the moment, you're just, you know, watching, you're waiting to see what's going to happen, which is what's happening right now, which is when Obi-Wan launches himself at Darth Maul to try to take him out. And Dave, you're right, by the way, that this lightsaber battle is so much better than about any other one. It's, I'm thinking about like even Obi-Wan and Anakin in episode three and, you know, the lightsaber duels in episode two, this is light years above that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. People have speculated as the why too. And I, I think part of it is that you had Ray Park mm-hmm. uh, heavily involved in helping to choreo- um, choreograph this. And so I think that's part of the reason it turned out as well as it did. But mm-hmm. um, and, also, and also I think because... Uh, because it's, it's interesting. Uh, they've interviewed Ewan McGregor years later, and he said they were really going at it. There, there was no, oh, we're going to hold back. And he even said, like, there's instances where there was a guy on standby to repair all the lightsaber props that they were bending and twisting and breaking. And why are all the Naboo pilots, like, members of AARP? I mean, not to be ageist or anything, but it's like uh, their their Air Force is like, you know meets at country kitchen buffet for you know breakfast every morning or something <laughs> i think it, i think it's very much i mean they're, they're much more national guard than air force they're much more um a civilian force that if called upon can go out and do this they're not i mean uh panaka tells uh uh amidala look we're volunteers and we do this you know no, one week in a month, twice, two weeks a year, that that kind of thing. We're not we're not a military, which also goes to show that that point in the galaxy where they're existing, 
is different. Maybe I also noticed a big, big design flaw as well from the Trade Federation that all you have to do is unplug it and everything goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they did. They re, re repeated that mistake, quote unquote, mistake in the Avengers movies later on. And it's like, it, it's convenient because it, it, it wraps things up in a tidy bow. You know, it's like, now you don't have to worry about conflict still occurring. You can celebrate the victory. But it's also it's also a neat way to explain, look, they're they're the bad guys. Bad guys don't trust the stuff they own. And so therefore they would have an off switch. And by the way, there goes Darth Maul. Bye-bye. We'll see you later. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy your you spider know. legs. Yeah. Cut in half. Cut in half because you know, George wanted to make sure he could come back. <laughs> yeah. I'm banging my head on the microphone right now. Because, I mean, forgot all I had to do was Obi-Wan just had to do his little flippy thing and maybe lop off an arm and then kick him down the shaft. And then when he comes back in Clone Wars, it doesn't have Aaron on a Sunday morning going, what in the heck? What? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, at the time, it made sense for him to want to kill him off because he had another idea in mind for the villains going forward. And so. and I'm sorry, this is one of my big criticisms of this movie, is the Scooby-Doo ending. Right here where Panaka comes up and is talking to, you know, the Nemoidians. He's, it's, it is. It's like, you know... You'll, you won't like it where you're going, you know, or you know, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids and that droid. Um, it's just very much a Scooby-Doo ending. Yeah. It's trying to wrap it up like they're done and we know for a fact they're not, which is what makes it so interesting. <laughs> Actually, you're right. I mean, that's the whole point of this closing, which yeah. is like, you know, the, the name of the movie, The Phantom Menace, Palpatine is taking over and he's here. He's being he's literally being introduced to his future right hand man. We mm -hmm. shall watch your career with great interest. Um, the Jedi and the Republic have established that they're ripe for being knocked down. You know, this is really super subversive stuff. Um, but you know, it's wrapped up in you know, this shiny veneer where it's like, yay, everything's done and we've won. By the way, the interesting thing about this interaction with Yoda and Obi-Wan is that it's, it's subtle. Yoda was overruled right. by somebody here. We think we know in our brain, Yoda was the one in charge, but he was overruled because he didn't agree with any of this. And, but he says, agree with you. The council does. And it's right. like, oh, you were outvoted. Okay. Well, it other... circles back to that earlier scene where we were joking that he and Mace are just running rough shot over people. Yeah. So I guess not. <laughs> um, or, or maybe Mace out Vino helped outvote Yoda, and he's not happy with it. And, of course, here's where we, uh, in at least movie canon here, the first... Um, element of or first utterance of the rule of two with the Sith. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a master and apprentice. And then of course you get the pan right to Palpatine when they said who was, which was killed the master of the apprentice. And then, you know, pan right to him. It's like, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of people that still didn't, they, they should have had it. 
They should have had him turn. I was, I'm surprised he didn't turn to the camera and go with a little thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> up or wink at the camera. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. By the like, way, no, I mean, it's blatantly obvious what's going on. But, well, and that's the thing is that, I mean, if you like us growing up with the movies, we, there's no surprises at anything in these three movies. There were no surprises. None. Mm. We know we know Anakin's going to become bad. We know that you know Palpatine yep, becomes the emperor. The the you know we know we know all these things are going to happen. It's just okay. The interesting thing is how it happens. And by the way, this is a great musical moment as well, where they take the emperor's theme and put it in a major key and up tempo. Na 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 na. I was just like that was just I was listening it was brilliant yeah no just and to kind of delve up dovetail of that I was watching this YouTube clip of a musician who kind of hinted way back when before Rise of Skywalker how race the first four notes of race theme are the exact same four notes of Palpatine Palpatine's deal the Emperor's theme I saw that way back then too yeah I did and I was like wow it didn't even dawn on me but I I didn't it yeah it might be the same i don't know i it was it was always tough for me to hear the guy even wrote it out and everything like that just it's not it's not easy to pick out yeah by the way there's yaddle there's yaddle the yaddle's one appearance it gets the glowing orb of destiny here you know as you do oh yeah soon to be seen in saudi arabia yeah that's right (laughs) yeah like I said, I mean the movie, the yeah, the movie like any movie has its flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the way that it starts off, it's like it's it's like setting up a lesson. If you're a teacher, it's like setting up a lesson for your kids, and just um, you have a you have a really poor setup. I mean the way it, the way this movie is set up, it just is it sets you in, it could set you in a bad mood because it's not starting off like star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. um, neither does empire strikes back, but anyway, um, you know, so I think that leaves a little bit bad taste in mouth. I think the other thing that it had going was that everybody had to wait 15 years to see star Wars and they were expecting star Wars. And they mm-hmm. got something so a little bit different. They're star Wars. Like you said. Yeah. So, you know, um, I guess I my the only last thing I would say is I would encourage anybody who, you know, really didn't like Phantom Menace or felt like, you know, they were, you know, shafted or something like that, is just, you know, you know, take it take a day and just just watch it and just try mm-hmm. to, you know, try to separate, you know, some of those things um that bugged you at first and try to figure out why they bugged you. Um and maybe you don't like the movie. That's fine. You don't have to. But I, like I said, I still think it's the best of the three prequels. Yeah, we've disagreed on that uh, in past episodes. And uh, when we get to the other prequels, we can delve into it deeper. But I agree with you regarding taking time and going back. It's surprising. I was listening to an album the other day uh, that I hadn't listened in a long time. And I was surprised how much I was enjoying it. And it's like, I don't remember liking it when it came out back then. But that that's the reality. Sometimes time adds a patina to things. And it allows you to assess them in a different way. You know, back in 1999, this was the most hype, most anticipated movie ever. And 
in some ways it was a victim of a lot of expectations. There was no way it was going to live to all of that. Uh, but like I always said, there's a point where every movie that the biggest, greatest, most amazing thing ever has to go on a shelf and just be a movie. And it's amazing when you, you know, either fire up on the app or you grab it off the shelf and throw it on the Blu-ray or DVD or VHS or Betamax if you have that player. Uh, how stuff that you didn't see before kind of pops out now, how themes that you missed kind of connect and you know how, how you come to appreciate it in a different light. Dave, that's Some, the... Sometimes you got to grow up too. Dave, that's the, the uh, title of the episode, Time Puts a Patina on Things. <laughs> uh, final thoughts, Dave, on The Phantom Menace. Um, my thoughts are a story doesn't have to adhere to particular rhythms or tropes just because that's what other movies have done. And, it, and that's what I like about this movie is it that people complain that it has no clear protagonist. I like that about it. You know, it's fixated on politics. I like that. It has an odd structure. I like that and so forth and so on. Um, it's, it's at its core, an independent movie from an independent director at what was an independent studio at the time. So you really, honestly, it's absolutely art. Um, my thoughts are that the Phantom Menace is actually everyone's attachment to their old Star Wars, since it prevents them from enjoying the newer things. And uh, uh, you don't have to like this movie, um, but I very much do. You know, you... you... You said people don't like the politics of it. I, I'm gonna. I said it out the outset. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna bookend it. You know, people complaining about this that this movie and actually the you know the subsequent you know the the following two movies um, are about politics. That's like going on a you know going on a merry-go-round and complaining that you got sick. You know, it's like you, you know you're gonna be spinning around. Again, if you if you knew any of the backstory of, of that was put out there in Bantha tracks and stuff like that, you knew that that's that's what happened. Actually, I could if I have the let me see, do I have it here? I'm looking for a book. Uh, I can't find the book, but it actually goes through the backstory of like Palpatine weaseling his way through politics to become emperor. So, I mean, but hey, I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why we don't like movies, and like I said, not everybody has to, but. Uh, um, thanks everybody for following along with the Phantom Menace and if you let us know what you think about the Phantom Menace after you've listened to this podcast um, you know get, hit us up on Twitter on Facebook whatever argue with us you can uh, you know take our name in vain if you want to if you disagree with anything we said we, we like those conversations um, but uh, you can also find our podcast on basically anywhere you go find a podcast and if you can't find it there let us know and we'll See if we can get it there or we'll tell you where you can get our podcast. But if you're listening to it, you probably found it anyway. Um, but tell your friends. So um, anything else for the good of the order, guys? Hearing nope. Can't nothing? wait for, for episode two. Yep. We'll have the next one up, episode two, and we'll we'll uh, talk about more bad acting. and <laughs> More sand. More sand. More sand. Um, but I still like the movie, though. It was bad acting, but I still like the movie So because it's Star Wars. It's like pizza. Um, but anyway, all right, cool. Well, with that, we will say who dat? Who dat? 
Dad. And uh, everybody have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Later. Matanki.